Good evening, everyone. My name is Susan. I'm a marijuana addict in Washington. Uh, I want to say um, thank you, Heishka in Lummi, to my sober sisters on the line this evening and the people in my sobriety circle that are thinking of me this evening, my sponsor who's not able to be there, but I definitely feel her spirit. And I want to welcome all the newcomers. Um, I want to start out with saying that uh, Marijuana Anonymous has changed my life for the better. Um, I Just a little of the facts, I was born in 1958 which means I'm 60 years old. I'm still trying to wrap my head around this fact as I don't feel or act like many people that age. Um, I am twice divorced. Uh, I have two, I'm grateful to be the mother of two sons. Uh, my oldest son is 33 and lives close by, and I see him regularly. And my other son is 24, and he lives in Idaho. And we recently spent a wonderful Christmas together, the three of us, um, at a beachside cabin in Oak Harbor on uh, looking out to the San Juan uh, Islands and seeing whales and porpoises and wonderful birds and other wildlife. And it was just so invigorating and wonderful to be with my boys. So um, I grew up in the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am the middle child of three girls. My parents were divorced when I was nine. After a year of having to prove to the family court in Minneapolis that my mother was not fit to care for my sisters and I, my father was awarded custody, and that was pretty unheard of back in those days. Um, my mom uh, had a lot of mental issues, um, nervous breakdowns. Um, she uh, received shock treatments in her 20s and just um, didn't really have the capacity, I don't think, to to care for children, especially three of them, three girls, and with a father who was pretty much not there. Um, and my dad was a teacher and a coach. And with three girls, you know, he always wanted us, he always wanted a son. And God was funny in that he gave him three girls. Um, and so um, in my family, I learned to throw the football because I knew that that would be a way to my father's heart. Um, my mom was angry. She was angry at the fact that my dad wasn't present. She was overwhelmed by having to, to you know, raise kids, uh, run the family, run the house. She just didn't have it. And, and so she was a closet drinker and smoker during my childhood. My father hated smoking, and so she hid it. Um, I later found out that one day my dad came home, and she was in the backyard smoking and talking to a friend. And uh, when he walked in the door, she was drinking a cup of coffee, and she put her cigarette in the coffee cup. And my dad, so mean, 
um, went to her and said, um, you know, whatever, greeted her, but then said, oh, please finish your coffee, knowing that well and good that she had put her cigarette butt right in the coffee cup. And unfortunately, my mom had to drink that right in front of him. Um, I did not feel the unconditional love from either of my parents. My mother frequently told me that I was unplanned and even unwanted. There was both physical abuse and neglect while growing up. I remember when I was, oh, um, well, it was the year that my parents had separated and we lived with mom. Um, I remember her digging my fingernails into my neck, uh, digging her fingernails into my neck so bad that, you know, it left marks in my neck. And then another time, granted, we got her pretty riled up, but she chased me around the house with a knife. <laughs> Um, and at the same time, even though we looked for my dad for love and affection, um, there were times when he didn't, he wasn't aware of his own emotions and he would refuse to talk to me. Like if we had an argument, he would refuse to talk to me for days. And even though I would beg and plead with him, dad, please say something, he would not say anything and just you know, be aloof, and that drove me crazy. Um, needless to say, I was a prime candidate for drug abuse. I had very low self-esteem. I was looking for any way to distance myself from my day-to-day -day reality. Smoking cigarettes and drinking cheap wine proved to be my first escape. Um, I was 16 the first time I smoked marijuana. I remember it very well, um, where I was and everything and who gave it to me. And I was by myself um, when I smoked it. And I remember, I, I don't know how much, I don't remember how much I smoked, but I remember that I didn't get high. And I was like, what's the deal, man? You know, what's up with this stuff? But, of course, I wasn't going to stop there. Um, I did it again and, of course, found that relief that um, – an addict finds from getting high. And so I continued to do it. Um, I, um, back in the day, um, again, remember that I'm 60 and it was, I was 16. Um, it was Mexican weed. Um, there were as many seeds and stems as there was leaf and it was very low in THC. So you could smoke, you know, multiple bowls and, you know, before you really felt the effect. Um, I smoked occasionally until I was about 21. Um, when I was 21, I got a job at Club Med, um, Club Mediterranean in Mexico. And I went down there and um, there, of course, Mexico, um, weed was plentiful. And in the club, it was, of course, even more plentiful and uh, I started to smoke on a daily basis. And it was there that I met my soon-to-be uh, first husband. He was a Frenchman, and he was working as a scuba diving instructor. And the Club Med, if you don't know, is a French, or was a French organization. And so there were a number of us that um, uh, were the, uh, GEOs, which means that we 
were the workers and the GNs were the people that would come. And they would come either weekly or sometimes they would um, come and go every two weeks. And we would do, they'd pretty much have everything that they'd want, food and entertainment and all of that. And I remember that um, I was in all of the shows that were there and played my guitar and sang and but I, I wonder how I made it through um, when I look back at it because, you know, we'd smoke out before I would do any of that stuff. And Olivier um, would not even get close to anything that involved um, being in front of the public. But I have, uh, I'm a pretty much an extrovert and I had that personality that, and I was also not as addicted as I I became in later years and I was able to, kind of, you know, deal with it, um, but I would go and perform, and uh, and that was kind of a, a thing. Um, after Mexico, we moved to Egypt, and my marijuana changed to hashish, and uh, again, you know, was smoking pretty much daily. Um, I left um, Egypt and returned back to Mexico, or returned to Minnesota, for a while where I grew up and um, wasn't, I don't remember, you know, using very much um, during that time. But then I got back together with Olivier and we moved to Guadeloupe, which is in the French West Indies. And there, um, not only did we smoke it, but we grew it. And, um, and that lifestyle continued for about three or four years. We got married down there. Um, and then I, w I became pregnant. And at that point, I stopped smoking during my pregnancy. But after um, our son was born, I was, I didn't know it at the time, but I was going through postpartum depression. And so I was so depressed to the point where I thought that my marriage wasn't worth it, and I actually divorced Olivier um, when ben, when our son was only like two years old, and so um, that was a rough time. Um, you know, I hadn't had the role models growing up of happy parents together figuring things out. You know, mine was the fight or flight um, idea. Um, I didn't understand what I was going through, but as I look back, of course, first child, not a relationship with my mother, um, in a foreign country, speaking a foreign language, um, you know, pretty much set up for that to happen. Um, so anyways, we, we went back to the States and we didn't get divorced until Olivier had his green card he also chose to go to the United States because I knew that even though I wasn't a very good wife, I knew I didn't want a parent by myself. And so he um, came to the States and actually it was funny. He ended up living in the basement of my mother's house. She had remarried um, and I was never close to my mom. Um, after my parents divorced, I had never spent a night at my mother's house. And, uh, but Olivier developed this relationship with him. So I ended up during the three years that he was there seeing my mom more than I had in, you know, 
10 years before that. And so um, one time, though, I remember I was, I, I started to go to college. I started back in college at that point, and Olivier was great. He would come over on the night that I would have a night class. And one night we were um, at the uh, dining room table kind of talking, and our son was asleep. And my dad came home. I was house-sitting for him. And my dad came home, and we were smoking out in the dining room. And I remember I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know? And uh, we, of course, you know, stopped smoking right away and, you know, whatever. But dad, of course, knew what was going on. But as it was in our kind of dysfunctional relationship, we never talked about it. You know, it was kind of put under the under the rug and kind of like it never happened. And so, um, so that continued. Um, my own personal life, after I divorced, I sought out men that were users, um, drug users, um, that I knew that I could, you know, keep my, my smoking um, regular and, um, and uh, constant, I guess. Um, and but that but I also sought out men that were not available. Um, I'm I'm not um, I'm not happy to say that I sought out men that were unavailable and that I shouldn't have gone to. But um, that was just who I was at that point. Um, after a while, I moved. To, or I went, I went on a Knowles course, which is the National Outdoor Leadership School, and I met my second husband. Um, he was a Knowles instructor, and I eventually moved to the beautiful state of Wyoming in 1991. But I, again, uh, concentrating on my marijuana use, I sought out people who got high, and he really resented the fact that I used marijuana, even though he actually used to grow it and sell it um, when he was younger in the state of Oregon. And so he would be angry with me, and um, he would hide it, and he asked me to quit, and he'd hide my stash, and I was so I'd become so um, bitter about that, and I was like, <laughs> you know, and so eventually, um, I, I tried to stop, but of course, at that point, I was, I was pretty much an addict. Um, our, we had a son, and he was born in 1994, and I did stop smoking during the time that I was pregnant, um, but right after you know, he was born, I started again, and um, again, I would continue to seek friends to get high with. I would lie to him about where I was, and of course, one of the effects were that we are emotionally unavailable to those people that we love, um, and because we are involved so much in our own addiction that it's not um, it's not feasible for us to connect um, on a on a real true basis. Um, again, um, I divorced in 2002, um, and I got high pretty much every day after I divorced for the next couple of years. 
Um, it was a little bit like, fuck you, Ed. You know, I, I can do what I want to do now. I'm on my own. But also, I didn't want to deal with the pain that I was feeling and deal with the, the remorse and the guilt that I left not only myself, but of course, our son with. Um, we remain friends, and we still are very good friends, my, my ex-husband and I, after all these years. And I'm, I'm very grateful to say that we parented together, and we did many good things together. We, neither one of us got reattached, really, with anyone after our divorce, and so we often spent holidays together. We'd go to parent-teacher conferences together. Um, he only he um, ended up finding a house about six blocks away. So, you know, we would often um, get together and Trapper, um, our son, felt, you know, pretty comfortable even though that he wasn't able to live with both of us. He felt definitely the love from both of us. And that was really important for me because even though I wasn't a very good wife, um, I definitely wanted to be a better mother um, than my mom was to me. And um, so, uh, yeah, and I, and I feel good about that. Um, during this time, my older son was struggling with a growing um, love affair with alcohol and to the point where he became an alcoholic. And um, I look back at that time and I know that my marijuana use um, was convenient in the fact that I, I didn't see, I wasn't aware, I didn't want to deal with um, his problems. I was wrapped up in my own use and trying to heal whatever pain that I had and didn't and wasn't really present for him and his alcohol use grew and grew to the point where it also became um uncontrollable and um so you know, I, I mean, in hindsight, I see like my marijuana use affected both my sons um, in different ways. They're 10 years apart. Um, I was a single parent in both relationships, but definitely um, my marijuana use, I think, more affected my younger son because uh, I would just get high upstairs and he had a room downstairs and I would just not be available to him. And I would not um, give him the love and care that I know that potentially I could have if I hadn't been addicted to marijuana. Um, when he'd be with his dad, um, I would be high almost constantly. Um, I was never honest with, with my younger son. I never smoked in front of him, <laughs> you know, kind of a replay of my mom with my dad, um, or even talked about it. I remember one day, however, he went out to my vehicle and he found uh, a shoebox of weed in my car. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, I, I was finally, you know, needed to confront this. 
and um, and I was so embarrassed and shamed, and I just didn't know what to do. And so, but I didn't make a big deal really out of it, and I kind of tried to. I don't know. I don't think I rationalized it necessarily, but I definitely didn't expound on it or ask for forgiveness or any of those things. I just, you know, kind of said what it was. Um, but again, I, I never smoked in front of them. You know, I never was the real me. And I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't. Um, I want to jump. I want to jump ahead um, to you know years later. Um, I've really had really my addiction took hold um, uh, in I'd say in 2006. Um, my older son had gone was going through his first time in treatment. I was a mess. Um, I started my first 12-step program, which I'm so grateful for the, to this day, and I continue to be a faithful supporter of and, and patron of Al-Anon. And it was there that I finally realized that the only person that I could control um, was myself. And I went into the rooms of Al-Anon, and I was, I was just devastated. I... I would never allow, not necessarily allow myself, but I would never be able to cry until I was in that group. It was so funny. Every time I went to an Al-Anon meeting, I would shed tears. I would shed tears, you know, pretty much any time I talked, I started to cry. And um, But it was so cleansing and so helpful, and I looked around the room just as I look around, even though I don't look around literally, but I feel around the rooms in MA, this wonderful support that we have for each other in our addiction and this wonderful fellowship that I have with all of the people on the phone lines. And um, without, you know, Al-Anon, I would never have found MA because I would never have realized that the only person that I could fix was myself. Um, how I got here, and I'm looking at the time, I'm sorry, um, I got about, I'll sh wrap it up kind of in like five minutes or so. Um, <clears throat> how I got here was kind of a backdoor kind of thing. Um, I'd been in Wyoming for 28 years. Um, I, Wyoming, of course, is not a legal marijuana state, and I would find myself driving um, after Colorado became legal 10 hours, five hours each way to get my weed and uh, I would do that any time that I would be you know almost out I would be scrounging on the floor I would be looking through my drawers I'd be cleaning my pipes I'd be pretty much frantic about you know shit I can't get high anymore um, I went from you know I'll smoke on the weekend to I'll smoke at night to I'll just you know uh, I mean, I just was smoking all the time. And even at times when I didn't want to, I would be high. Um, and it was really isolating. Um, I would be home. I would not be socializing. I would be, you know, not, yeah, I would be always in an altered state. 
and not dealing with what was really in front of me. And when um, I took care of my dad for the last um, three years of his life um, in Sheridan, Wyoming, and um, when he passed, I was able to pick up from Wyoming and move to the state of Washington. And I moved here about 18 months ago, and I just love it. Um, and isn't it, uh, you know, it's a state where marijuana is legal. And I thought, boy, this is going to be great. But I wanted to work at a place that um, had mandatory drug testing. And I, so I made sure that I was able to get hired by the fact that um, not only did I stop smoking, but I used those online products, you know, those cleanse, body, whatever kind of things, those pills you take and those things you drink and all those things. But I was really not being honest with my problem. And so I got the job, but six weeks after I was in, um, there was a uh, all-employee drug test. And, of course, the day after that I had passed my initial test, I was getting high again. And so I lost my job because I tested positive. And so I went through a period of nine months or so when I was really a mess. And I, you know, I felt horrible and I felt ashamed. And I was literally escorted out the day that they found that my test was positive. And I wasn't able even to say goodbye to the people that I'd worked with for those, you know, few months. Um, and that was so hard. That was just devastating. And at that point, I realized, you know, I had a problem, that this was controlling my life rather than me controlling my marijuana use. And so I... Um, I started to get on the phone lines. I started to reach out. I started to work the steps. I had a problem with it because I didn't want to admit that I, in fact, was powerless over marijuana. But in my heart of hearts, I knew that it had been controlling my life for many, many years and really stunting my growth emotionally and spiritually and all of the above. And so um, I, I started on the phone lines. I started on November 27th, 2017. And I am so grateful to say that I have been clean every day since. Um, it has been a journey. It has been a life-changing experience. I have not, um, it's, Per progress, not perfection. I'm still on step nine. I have been um, kind of slow, but thorough on working my steps. Um, I attend meetings regularly, uh, phone meetings. Um, I recently had a two-week break, and I found myself on a meeting every day because I know that it is from these phone lines that it is from you know, being of service, it is from admitting to myself that I'm, I'm a marijuana addict, that I cannot delve into taking a toke or, you know, smoking a joint or 
eating an edible or any of those things because I know that I would be right back at it. And right now my job depends on that I'm sober, you know, that I'm clean. And I love what I do, so that is actually a really good carrot that I have dangling. Um, I'm motivated by wanting to keep my job, but I'm, act- but I'm more motivated really on who I've become in the last 13 months um, and who I will become in, you know, the days to come. Um, it's a day-to-day thing. Every day, I thank my higher power for giving me the strength to not pick up. Every day, I thank my sober sisters and my sober community for giving me the strength to carry on. And um, and I don't take it lightly. I don't take it for granted. Um, I live in a you know smoke state. My neighbors get high every day. I smell it from their house. I know how easy it would be to go over and get high, but I know that I don't want to, and I know that I don't have to, and for that, I am so grateful. Um, Welcome again to the newcomers. Um, There's many things that I haven't actually shared, but that's okay. Um, I think I touched on those things that are important to me. I look forward to continuing to be of service um, to folks and to help people going through the beginning stages. Um, It was hell at first, but every day is easier. Um, There are triggers, there are hard days, but there are hard times. Um, I know my son now, my older son is in recovery, which is awesome, Um, and, but my recovery does not hinge on his recovery. You know, if he goes back out, that in no way means that I need to go back out. And so I look at my, my program as what I need in my life to make me the best person I can be. So with that, thank you so much. I will pass, and I will be happy to give my number at the end.